Good morning, brothers and sisters. We give thanks on this Good Friday morning that we can come together to also remember the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and that through his death we've been made alive. We warmly welcome all guests who are with us this morning. The service will be led by our pastor, Reverend Vince Bronson, and our pre-service song is Hymn 26. rise for worship and lift up our hearts to the Lord. We begin this worship service by together confessing our dependence on the Lord. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. Amen. We'll now sing together Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is found in the Old Testament. It's a psalm prophesying Jesus' death, especially even his death on the cross. As we sing it, we reflect on the details of his sacrifice as they were recounted for us so many years before it happened as a prophecy. Psalm 22 stands as 1, 5, 6, and 7.
humble ourselves before the Lord in prayer. Almighty Heavenly Father, we thank you that this morning we may gather to worship your most holy name. Thank you that you give us the opportunity to reflect together the death of our Lord Jesus Christ who died on a cross. Even as we sang the words of Psalm 22 that describe this experience that our Lord Jesus endured, we could see, sing together, how the abandonment was complete. Cruelty was intense. And reflect on the real wrath that our Lord Jesus bore. We thank you, Lord, that we may sing this and reflect on this, knowing that he died on a cross to pay for our sins. Again this morning, we confess our sins before you. We recognize, O Lord, that we are here this morning only because of your grace and your mercy toward us. In our own hearts, we have often turned away from you. We've tried to do things our own way. We have caused harm to our neighbors. And all these sins we know, O Lord, deserve eternal punishment, eternal death under your wrath, so it is with great joy, Lord, that we may reflect the facts of our Lord Jesus' death. And we pray that as we together read this gospel and we think about the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, we may rejoice in our hearts that he is our substitute, that he was punished in our place. We pray that it through the worship of our Lord Jesus Christ, our hearts may be lifted up and comforted. We pray for your servant proclaiming this gospel in this place to equip him with what he needs to be faithful in his task. We pray for those who are proclaiming this gospel in many places in the world and that in all this, in all our worship, your name may be glorified and honored. Enlighten our minds by your Spirit, O Lord, as we turn to your Word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Morning we'll, this morning we'll read together Matthew chapter 27, verses 11 to 26 is also the text of the message on this Good Friday. It's a continuation of Matthew 27, verses 1 and 2, where we read that when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death, and they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. And then Matthew 27, verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, 
have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Gospels give us the facts about Jesus' trials before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leading uh, council, and the trial before the Roman rulers, which resulted in Jesus being scourged. Scourged was being uh, whipped to the point that the blood or that the, the, the flesh was ripped apart and bones were broken and mocked and crucified. The facts change the lives of everyone who believes them to be true. As the Gospels recount false accusations, riotous mobs, wicked judges, corruption among conspiring enemies, and other horrors of hell itself under God's punishment, they make it clear that Jesus truly bore the wrath of God that we deserve for our sins. At the same time, the innocence of Jesus Christ, which is proven repeatedly throughout the ordeal, make it clear that Jesus wasn't suffering God's wrath for his own misdeeds and sins, but rather he was suffering as a substitute for the sins of others. The facts assure us that Christ has really come down from heaven to die as a sin offering so that whoever believes in him might never be punished for their sins. This is why Christians call the Friday of Jesus' death good. When we understand this, we see that the greatest tragedy of Good Friday isn't Jesus' death, but the hardness of the hearts of those who continue to reject Him as their Lord and Savior. The tragedy of Good Friday is not that the Lord Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath down to the dregs for everyone who believes in Him so they wouldn't have to, but that people refused to be rescued from their own punishment of endless suffering under God's wrath by believing Christ's work and receiving Him as their substitute. The facts are there before us today. Jesus Christ was truly cursed by God who subjected him to the hellish agony of being hated, betrayed, ostracized, misunderstood, mocked, scourged, beaten, and finally crucified. And for those who believe and understand that he suffered this to bear God's wrath in our place, his suffering on Good Friday is a gospel message that I proclaim to you under this theme, the innocent Jesus Christ was murdered. See that Good Friday is about bloodthirsty envy, corrupted power, and undeserved innocence. By the time that Jesus is bound and standing before Pilate, he had spent an entire night being interrogated and condemned by the chief priests and elders of the Jewish people who had been conspiring for months to put him to death. 
using false witnesses and being careful to misinterpret his words, they had finally managed, they had finally managed to convict Jesus of the crime of blasphemy. Now, in order to have Jesus executed, they sought out the Roman judge to pronounce the death sentence. Aware that the charge of blasphemy that was so serious among the Jews wouldn't impress the Roman judge very much, when they were before Pilate, the Jewish leaders accused Jesus of inciting rebellion against Rome and Caesar, partly by his claims that he was king of the Jews. You see, the Jewish leaders weren't too concerned about what Jesus was condemned to death for as long as he was condemned and put to death. They themselves had used false witnesses. They had broken their own laws concerning trials. They had changed their accusation to sound more death-worthy before the Roman ruler. And they abandoned all explanation and justification when they started to shout out, let him be crucified. Well, Pilate himself could see that they were not motivated by a desire for justice or the truth. Although they made it sound like they were sincerely trying to help the Roman governor keep the Jewish people under control by outing a man who claimed to be a king and was inciting rebellion, this was not a concern that the Jewish leaders had ever shown before. Although the Sanhedrin, especially the Sadducees among them, were quite willing to make concessions with the Romans in order that they could stay in power, we read many times in the Gospel of the disdain they showed toward tax collectors among the people who served Rome. and needed to, They needed to have a specially appointed prefect, governor, Pilate, to keep their nation under control. In fact, scholars believe that Pilate was only in Jerusalem at that time because Old Testament feast days were times when the Jewish people were more likely to organize a revolution. Well, Pilate proved their false motives quite quickly by offering to release Barabbas, a man who had been charged with similar crimes to the crimes they were accusing Jesus of committing. If they had truly been concerned for the well-being of Rome, they would not have accepted the release of the prisoner who was notorious for being a robber and committing murder in an insurrection. That's an uprising against the government. Even if they were forced to choose between two leaders of revolutions, Barabbas, who was far more dangerous and guilty of real harmful crimes, would not have been preferred over a man whose only claim was his only crime was claiming to be a king of sorts. The only reason that the Jewish leaders had to choose Barabbas over Jesus was that they hated Jesus more. And what made Jesus, who was called the Christ, such a hated enemy of the Jewish leaders? Even Pilate could see that it was because of their envy. To use the language of Jesus' parable of the tenants, they wanted to usurp control from the owner of the vineyard, and that son was standing in their way. The chief priests and the elders went to great lengths to ensure that Jesus would not escape the death penalty at this time. And while Pilate was interacting with a messenger from his wife, they, we read, they persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Barabbas was a freedom fighter who would make it more difficult to live in peace with the Romans, but he was more acceptable to the Jewish leaders than Jesus because he did not threaten the interests of the Jewish leaders. We need to see then how extreme they were in their goal to have Jesus killed. When you think about Jesus' life, all that he had done, all the mercy he showed, all the healings, the feeding. There's no way to conclude that their desire to destroy Jesus was a punishment that fit even their feebly fabricated so-called crime. And as we reflect on that, we see how powerful envy can be, how it can blind our eyes 
and even turn us into bloodthirsty enemies of God and our neighbor in just a moment. They didn't want Jesus just imprisoned or even thrown to the wild beasts or scourged, but they wanted him to suffer the most humiliating, torturous death that the Romans had reserved for high treason. They wanted him to be hung on a tree, suspended between heaven and earth, so that the world would know that he was utterly unworthy of either place, that he was cursed by God and by men. Envy is a very strong emotion. It's closely connected to selfishness and anger, which always leads to murderous intentions, a desire to wipe out those we are envious of. It's important to see how envy leads to a rejection of God, rejection of the Son, rejection of the the work of His Spirit in our hearts. Now if the Jewish leader's only concern was the glory of God's name or the well-being of the kingdom, they wouldn't have been so eager to see Jesus destroyed. However, because they were driven by their envy, when Pilate asked them, their answer was ready. And they all said, let him be crucified. And again, rather than tell Pilate what evil he had done, they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. It was envy. It was bloodthirsty. It was groundless. The Roman judge could have stopped it all in a moment. But this was not God's will. And our Lord Jesus would face an even deeper level of suffering when his innocence was ignored by a corrupt judge. For although they refused to see it, Jesus was the only one who could bring them through God's wrath and into eternal life. We see the corrupted power. The comfort of having an advocate to defend you when you are falsely accused was taken away from Jesus Christ. Jesus knew that Pilate knew that the Jewish leaders were just envious of him. They wanted someone else to kill him because then they wouldn't have to answer to the crowds who actually liked Jesus. Jesus knew that Pilate had no grounds to condemn him to death. Jesus knew that there was no need to answer to the accusations or to defend himself. And according to the prophecies of his death, like a sheep before his shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. Pilate was amazed by Jesus' trust in his fair judgment, perhaps because Jesus' quiet confidence was like an implicit rebuke of his corruption. But if Jesus expected justice from Pilate, he would soon be disappointed. For Pilate, who himself had asked Jesus what truth is, he was not an honest and a faithful judge. Pilate was famous for his cruelty, his hatred of the Jewish people, especially the leaders. He despised them. He was filled with contempt for everything that they stood for. He saw their disdain for the title King of the Jews as an opportunity to mock them. And when he put the title King of the Jews on the cross of Jesus, we can imagine Pilate's contemptuous smile as he thought about how pathetic it would be to have this accursed Jesus of Nazareth, the criminal under the thumb of Rome, as your king. Pilate was also very arrogant. All the evidence he had before him was confirmed by the dream or the nightmare that his wife had and her conclusion that Jesus was righteous or innocent. Whether his wife had received a revelation that made it clear that Jesus had not broken any of the Lord's laws and so was righteous, or she had concluded from the evidence that she had gathered that he was innocent so that it would be very disturbing to God if he was condemned as guilty, Pilate just made light of her words. Instead of having nothing more to do with the trial of Jesus, he ended up saying to the crowd in verse 22, what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? 
He believed he still had the power to save Jesus' life or destroy it. And he plodded on in defiance of the evidence to try and make a deal with the riotous crowd before him. Maybe if his wife had told him to worship Jesus instead of have nothing to do with him, he would not have gone through the hypocritical motions of washing his hands in innocence. For no matter what he did with his hands, it was his order that led to Jesus being scourged, led to Jesus' unjust death penalty. His corrupt approach made Jesus' death nothing less than murder, no matter how many times he washed his hands. Although he was a legitimate authority, he abused his power and ordered that an innocent man be condemned to death according to the desires of that bloodthirsty, envious mob before him. And we see that our Lord Jesus was caught in the middle of the struggle between the Jews and Pilate, like a piece of meat being fought over by two lions. It reminds us of what we sang in Psalm 22. And in this power play, Pilate had the advantage of being needed to impose the death sentence, and the Jewish leaders had the advantage of turning the crowds against him to, to cause a riot. Both sides in this battle agreed that Jesus was nothing to them giving us a clear picture of what hell under God's punishment is like. Jesus did not receive justice, but went through a mock trial composed of a corrupt judge and a mob threatening to riot and revolution against Caesar if they didn't get their way. The collective anger and the hatred that was riled up in the Jewish people forced Pilate's hand. Their goal was not the well-being of the Roman-occupied forces. It's ironic that those who were charging Jesus with sedition were now threatening an insurrection themselves. They weren't concerned with the well-being of the Jewish people, but they wanted the death of an innocent man of whom they were envious. Hell is a horrible place. And as we see our Lord before his unjust and corrupt judges who were intent on murdering him as an innocent man, we are then brought into the story. If the story of Jesus' death brings up ungodly, anti-Semitic thoughts in your minds, just stop and think about the desires of your sinful nature that you have to fight against and you will see how often we commit the same sins as Pilate and the mob. In our sinful hearts, we are no better than any other person on the face of the earth, Pilate and the Jewish mob included. We too struggle with selfishness, with envy, with pride, with this desire for self-preservation. We are often caught up in this temporary world we lose sight of the big picture of God's sovereign power and His eternal kingdom. We belittle the righteousness and the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only are we often afraid to do the right thing because of the people, but we also often put the work of Jesus Christ down below our own interests and below our own comforts. Perhaps we're even envious of Jesus Christ and wish that people wouldn't keep talking so much about our sins and our helplessness. How often has it happened that people have replaced the gospel proclamation of Jesus Christ crucified and the gospel of salvation by grace alone with a system of programs that extol the abilities and the good works of people? Envy kills Christ. Selfishness causes us to treat the Savior of the world as nothing less than an instrument in our hand to serve our purposes. Can anyone sincerely wash their hands in innocence? The Gospel accounts of the trial and death of our Lord Jesus make it clear that no one is innocent 
of the death of Jesus Christ. We also are guilty of His death. Not because we were among Jesus' disciples when they fled from His side and Peter even denied that Jesus was His Lord and Savior. We're not guilty because we were part of the Jewish Sanhedrin who used false witnesses and misinterpretations to falsely condemn Jesus. We also don't need to take the blame for Pilate who washed his hands of Jesus' blood but then scourged him and delivered him over to be crucified. Even though we know that there are unbelievers today who would may do may have done something similar. And even if we are the descendants of the people in the mob who claimed responsibility for the blood of Jesus for them and their children when they were in front of Pilate, if we didn't make the same promise for ourselves, the promises of our ancestors cannot be used to condemn us today. When we talk about being guilty for his death, We don't mean in the shared humanity model of our contemporary culture when we are called upon to apologize for the sins of our fathers. But we mean that we are guilty because we know that He was sent in the world to pay for our sins. And even though we may not have been there on the day our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, we should not assume that we are innocent of His death. No matter how many times we might wash our hands of the guilt of rebellion against God, we are part of the reason that Jesus died on the cross. If we hadn't sinned against God, there would have been no reason for Him to send His Son to die on a cross. But now that we have sinned and confess these sins before the Lord in humble repentance, The gospel message of Christ's death fills us with hope for it is a manifestation of the amazing, patient, and gracious love of God, our faithful covenant Father. You see, although we may feel ashamed that our sins required the death of Christ Jesus to be atoned for, the gospel message for sinners is that the Son of God chose to come down for us and die. Although He was under no obligation to us, and we didn't even care enough to desire it, in His grace and love, the Lord Almighty didn't want to leave His children under His wrath in eternal condemnation to suffer the hell that we see displayed in our text. He died because of our sins, because He wanted to. He knew very well that we were sinners when He came to die for us. It wasn't the nails that held Him on the cross, but it was His love for lost sinners. He came to die because He loves us. That was the only way to save us from His own wrath and punishment. You see, How Good Friday shows you how valuable you are in God's sight. Do you feel the arms of your loving Father wrap around you? Now look at that truth that you can cling to every day of your life in all your struggles against sin in your life that you hate so much. All those sins that you hate so much They have been paid for. They have been punished already. Though you deserve to bear that wrath of God in the everlasting hellish agony of betrayal and mocking and scourging and loneliness and betrayal and injustice, Christ bore that punishment for everyone who believes in Him. Because of Christ's work on Good Friday, you can be assured that as surely as you believe in Jesus Christ, so surely are you today innocent and pure in God's sight. The gospel message of our text assures us that on the day of judgment, 
we can truly wash our hands in innocence like we can sing in Psalm 26. For our sins have been paid for, and we who believe in him are forgiven. And when you have trouble believing that you are pure in God's sight, you just need to remember and reflect on the facts of Jesus' suffering and death. What he did was done for you who believe in him. God will never punish us for the sins that have already been paid for. And Christ's suffering and death assures us that whoever believes in him will never come into condemnation. By his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he has redeemed our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtained for us the grace of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Jesus Christ has freed us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us, for he took the curse which lay on us. The reason for our celebration on Good Friday is that Jesus Christ was murdered by envious and corrupt judges under the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to, so that we might be declared innocent. Brothers and sisters, the next time you stand before a mirror and you wash your hands, think about Good Friday. What a blessed comfort. What a wonderful joy. Amen. The one prophecy of our Lord Jesus' death that gives us a picture of the suffering of Jesus that he endured that we actually don't read too much about when we get to the, to the Gospels that give us a third-person account is the prophecy that we read in Isaiah 53. And that prophecy of the suffering servant, the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, is put to music in hymn 25. And we'll sing together stanzas one to four, standing if you're able to stand.
We'll again open our Bibles and read from Matthew 27, verses 27 to 61, as we reflect further on the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's on page 834. Following from the words that he released for them, Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified, we read in Matthew 27, verse 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews." Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, And yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook. And the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place... They were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. We'll now sing the last stanzas of hymn 25, which recount to us the further suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, and also we see this prophecy mentioned, the burial of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, a rich man uh, with whom he was, uh, who showed mercy to him. Hymn 25, and we'll sing stanzas 
5 and 7. Gracious Father, in Jesus Christ, we thank you as your people. We realize and understand, O Lord, that we are those of whom we just sang, the many that you have made your own possession, those for whom Christ made intercession for whom he died. We thank you, Lord, that we may know that we are your children in Jesus Christ. That we may live each day in fellowship with you. Speaking to you now as we are speaking in prayer, unashamed, confident, for we have been washed clean. We pray, O Lord, that you will work in our hearts and in our minds, 
a deep thankfulness for the work of Jesus Christ, for the purifying work of our Savior, for the gospel message that we may live with each day. We pray that you will guide us by your Holy Spirit to understand, to receive, and to respond to your grace with great thankfulness for the spirit of peace and joy. As we go from here this day, as we continue to reflect on your love for us, and you sent your only begotten Son, and as we think of our Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, O Lord, we pray that we may each one of us, in all our different circumstances, experience your nearness and your love in our own lives, in our own situations. We thank you, Father, that even as we reflect on Christ's work and could sing together from Isaiah 53 that also spoke of the tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ, our, our hearts are already thinking forward to the message of hope, of Easter, of his resurrection, of his victory, and of the amazing new life that we have in him. Guide us by your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Receive the blessing of the Lord and depart in peace, brothers and sisters. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.